Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tony Sherman, you're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, a good, good Sunday morning to you. Good Sunday morning to you, Scott. I am just back from uh, from a trip to uh, London and Paris. And so I went to London and took the Channel and the uh, Eurostar to Paris. And um, I'm glad to be back. But I wanted to share with you and our listeners something that was very disheartening and disturbing to me, which was... What was that? It used to be that Europe and, and the rest of the world was, was kind of far behind the United States in infrastructure and transportation. Our airports were fantastic. Our train stations were great. You know, our, uh, you know, uh, subways, all those sorts of things were, you know, world class and, uh, and you know, and held in, in high esteem. And I just, uh, you know, went through this experience of going to Europe, you know, coming out of COVID just like us. And the experience there was fantastic. Arriving at Heathrow, it didn't take more than 20 minutes to clear customs and leave the airport. Um, getting into town was very easy. They have uh, they have a direct uh, train that you can take right into town. I went to uh, go to wow. from Par- to London to Paris on the uh, Eurostar through the channel. You had to clear both British and European Union customs. They did it all at the train station, 10 minutes to do that. Arrive in Paris, same thing, very, everything all integrated, it moved smoothly. Left at Charles de Gaulle to come back 30 minutes from the time walked out of the, out of the Uber into the terminal till we cleared everything. And, and, and then we arrived at the new airport in Salt Lake City. And it was oh. a disaster. Aye. It was a disaster. We you, you, we landed in a terminal. They made us get our luggage before you went through customs. Normally, you go through customs at because, first, and it takes a while. But during that time, they deliver your luggage, so it, it's you know you know it's you're going to have to wait anyway. You might as well wait in line. Here, you had a double wait. You had to wait to get your luggage, and then you had to wait to go through uh, the security and, and and customs clearance. Then you arrive at the A terminal. Many of the flights, particularly the ones all to Montana, are in the B terminal. It's a 35-minute walk. There's partial, there are some partial uh, people movers along the way, but there's a nice sign that says, pardon our inconvenience, it'll all be improved by 2024, (laughs) two years from now. Then you go and you got to go to the B terminal. You go down and there's a tunnel that goes across all the runways. And then you come up at the other side and have to walk half a terminal. And then you get to the gate that goes to Montana. And when they call the plane, you go down and you walk through a third of a mile of ramp and canopied walkway to get to a bus to take you to your plane. So here I am in a place, you know, going through Europe, which used to be very difficult, and you know, I didn't like that part of travel. And I come back to the United States, and it is third world. And I hear from people, Denver's that way, a bunch of other airports are that way. I looked at the train was going smoothly. Not, not a drop would spill out of your drink on the train, and it was going 160 miles an hour. Through the channel. Through the channel. You know, you can't get a train here that goes over every 50 miles or 60 miles an hour, and they bounce all over the place. You know, when people are people are worried about spending money on infrastructure in this country, you know, we we have a bill to uh, you know to improve infra- infrastructure, and it got whacked in half. And you know, we really are non-competitive at this point with the rest of the world. 
in terms of not only this transportation, but this same system moves cargo and moves, you know, uh, uh, raw materials and all that sort of stuff. And the rest of the world, particularly uh, uh, in the countries that we need to depend on, seem to have their act together. And then they show up here in the United States and our ports are jammed and our airports, even the brand new one in Salt Lake City is a disaster. And I'm just wondering, you know, where's this American exceptionalism that we used to be, be so proud of? So that's I wanted to share with you, and it's sort of my bone to pick. And then certainly if any listeners, you know, have an American exceptionalism story they'd like to share with me, us, I'd like to hear it because my experience on this trip and other trips have just demonstrated that we have fallen behind the rest right. of the world. And it's sad to me that that's the, the set of circumstances. Maybe we have the biggest army. Maybe we have the biggest number of nuclear weapons. Maybe we have the best sports stadiums. But the things that are important to daily life, we are falling behind the rest of the world. That's a, it's, it's sad to see, isn't it? It's, it's sad to see. And places even a great more emphasis on, you know, what can we do in our own backyards to make our lives better? Sure. And to make, and to make our experiences where we live and work better. Because you're right. Sometimes you, you get out of that bubble, uh, and well, you, you see, you, and you, you, don't and you see, see how the, the rest of the world has, has caught up and, and surpassed us. I stay at a hotel and you have to take a COVID test to come back to the United States, which is understandable. And I right. went down in the lobby and I said to the, uh, the folks, uh, uh, I need to get a COVID test to get back. And they said, uh, when would you like the doctor to come to your room and give you the test? So I got the test and it was $30. Nothing. Yeah. Works. You know? It speaks to it speaks to uh, how they have made it so much easier for people to move in and around their country and to accommodate them. And uh, it's almost like we botched so much over the last somewhere couple of years. Somewhere along the line, putting aside Democrat, Republican, but somewhere along the right. line, this thing of USA, 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 and our exceptionalism and how we lead the world and everything. Go out and see the rest of the world, particularly the developed world, you know. Europe and parts of Japan, Asia, Singapore. Go look there. Make your own, you know, make your own determinations. But, but we are, we need to do something. And it was, it was blindingly obvious to me on this trip on the little things that are important to daily life. There's, there, there, the rest of the world has moved ahead and we have sort of uh, have our foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Uh, agreed. Well, look. Uh, it's a good lead-in, actually, to our guest who's coming here. <laughs> Speak I'm about somebody. Need the help of a clergyman after this. You're going to need the help of God. Yeah. And and he, we have the conduit uh, on our on our on our uh, on our show this week, Rabbi Chesky Vogel from the Missoula area, Chabad, who has a lot of interesting things to share with us. Can't wait to have him on the show. Look forward to talking to him today. It'll be an interesting show. Absolutely. All right. When we come back, our guest will be Rabbi Chesky Vogel. Back after this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Chronic pain gets in life's way, but now you can fight back with chronic strength using the Vim app from the Arthritis Foundation. You'll find tips and tools to help you manage your chronic pain, set achievable goals, and be a part of a community that offers support. With the Arthritis Foundation's free Vim app, you'll take back what chronic pain has taken away. Download Vim at arthro.org slash Vim. That's arthritis.org slash V-I-M. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Rabbi Chesky Vogel of the Chabad of Missoula and Western Montana. Rabbi, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I've known the rabbi for a couple of years now. He's been here for a while. But for our uninformed uh, listeners, tell them a little bit about what the Chabad is about. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure. Uh, and what you guys do for the community is unbelievable. Um, we've been here for about four years. Chabad has been here since 2014. It's had a presence in Montana since 2011. Um, 
I represent the Chabad organization, which is a global Jewish outreach organization. Um, really became about outreach when I moved to America in 1940 from Eastern Europe. Uh, essentially, the way we build uh, the network is uh, central. The central organization in Brooklyn will send out a family or a couple to establish a center and start building a community in cities and towns that really need it, that are lacking that uh, Jewish vibrancy. Um, obviously, in the beginning, it was cities like Detroit and Chicago back in the 30s and the 40s. Um, and as time went on, um, you know, the smaller cities um, became a, a prime target. Um, and the idea really is to create a space um, that is open, that's inclusive, where anybody uh, of any age can come and experience their Judaism in a Jewish environment. Uh, the way we do that, because it's a challenge if, if you're servicing all the different parts of a Jewish community that might not even be a community yet, right? It's just a bunch of individuals. Um, first of all, the idea of availability, that there is that space, um, but, but to create a lot of different programs geared towards a lot of different groups. Um, and then um, to build on those with consistency uh, and as the community builds organically, um, something, you know, that that community emerges in a very beautiful way, in a very grassroots way, and you grow together with the community. Uh, so it takes a lot of time. Um, but, you know, I've been here for almost four years, about three and a half years now. And even with the, the interruption of so, a year and a half of COVID, um, we've managed to create something very beautiful. So we're a small town. We probably don't have a large Jewish population. You can you can expound on what the Jewish population is here. There has been then and is a synagogue here, Har Shalom, that's been here for a while. So is is there enough of a population, in essence, to go around to support both uh, organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you would obviously, there aren't a lot of people you'll see on the street, and you'll be like, oh, they're Jewish. So it is hard to put your finger on the pulse in terms of Jewish population. Um, but if you ask some of the, the Jews who've been, who've been here since the 70s and 80s, you know, uh, and I've met by now most of the population over the years, um, they'll tell you that there's a lot of Jews here, hundreds, maybe even, you know, a thousand Jews. Um, and the longer we're here, and I'm very visibly Jewish. I'm like a walking, you know, Jewish museum. <laughs> Every time I go to the uh, Manischewitz section in Albertsons, I'm meeting another Jew looking for matzah. <laughs> um, I'm always meeting Jews. Mm-hmm. In fact, I met Scott a couple weeks after we got here. I met him at the Hyundai dealership while I was in my van. Right, that's where we met. That's and he's right. Like, oh, I'm Jewish, and I was so I was buying my you know a car for the first time. I was I didn't even really have a chance to, to schmooze with you, uh, but like those, those things happen all the time. Um, and there's a lot more Jews than people realize. Uh, and once they know that there is a Jewish presence and that there is an effort to raise the Jewish profile, they become more comfortable, right, tapping into that, that, the heritage that they have and, and, and looking for that experience in whatever way we, we give it to them, whether it's a Friday night dinner or Passover or whatever. Is yeah. there a collaboration or cooperation between you and Harshalom? Um, Laurie and I are, are always in touch. Uh, we talk, we do talk once in a while. Um, uh, there isn't really in terms of programming. Um, uh, Chabad is a global organization. Um, we've been doing this for 80 years. Uh, and, um, you know, um, we're not, I do hope that in the coming years, there'll be opportunity to partner, to create something bigger. For because you know, like I was saying about the business network uh, that we like to make, um, mm-hmm. the more people you put into the pot, the more talent, the more ideas, something bigger will come out. We haven't had the opportunity yet, right? Um, but um, going back to your original question, there's definitely a population, and as the availability becomes more established, there's a greater interest. The interest grows, and so the need for more. Um, Jewish activity 
to, you know, to satisfy that interest grows as well. You know, Montana. Uh, and, if, and if it takes, you know, linking up once in a while to do a program that will bring more people, right, because of the added strength, um, then we'll definitely do that. Whatever it is. You know, Montana's a pretty homogeneous state. We do have almost 7% Native Americans in the mm-hmm. state, but outside of that, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, a pretty uh, homogeneous. In your experience over these last three, four years, do you find the general population knowledgeable about, you know, Jewish life, Jewish, uh, you know, Jewish ways of things, the Jewish history, or do you mm-hmm. feel that they fall more into, uh, you know, stereotypes of, uh, of uh, the Jewish population? Definitely, definitely the more the stereotype thing, because again, the Jewish profile here is not very high. There's very little exposure, or at least to their knowledge, right? I mean, people have told me, oh, I've never met a Jew before. I'm like, of course you did. You just didn't know, right? Um, so there is very little exposure, direct exposure, uh, informative I- exposure, especially not on a positive level. Um, so... No, and that, that's one of the things we want to do. Obviously, I, I, you know, we want to build Jewish community, but no community lives in a vacuum. And, you know, we're in a, we're in a, like you said, it's a small city. Already you called it a town. I know some people, in the beginning, I called it a town too when I first got here. Some people objected to that. <laughs> whether, whether it's a city or a town, it's definitely small. Uh, and, and we see ourselves as, as part of, you know, the, the broader, you know, landscape of Missoula. And we feel like we want to we want to contribute to that to that as well to the larger city. Um, Rabbi, so, it's what's yeah. interesting is is that so you've been here for four years, and Rabbi Barry Nash was here prior to that. Um, mm-hmm. And what is nice is I think the Chabad, in many ways, is visible in the community, and people know you, um, mm-hmm. whether it's across the political landscape, the cultural landscape, and or business, people do know you, and that's a good thing. And I'm curious, how have you been, you know, when you introduce yourself to these different kind of groups and have, mm-hmm. and have over the last four years, what's been the response and what's been the, the feedback, you know, um, and support? People have been extremely accepting um, and appreciative of our presence. You know, um, people want to see, let's just start with the cultural diversity aspect. People really want to see that. Um, the university has uh, every, every year, you know, a few days of, of, of cultural lectures that they do. We're there every year. Uh, they're very happy to have us. Every couple months we get a call from a, a local school that asks us to come in and do a Jewish demonstration, challah baking or something. Um, we just did a Maramatsu bakery at the public library. So the city as a whole has been very appreciative, not just accepting, uh, and individuals as well. And in general, I found that, you know, when people see that you're proud of who you are, your identity, you're not embarrassed of it, they'll respect that, at right. least grudgingly, you know. Um, and some of my closest friends in Missoula are not Jewish. These are people I have coffee with every few weeks, every month. Um, um, but they're just fascinated with what we do and, and fascinated with, the, with, you know, the idea of having coffee with the rabbi. Uh, they have a lot of questions, and yes, they are extremely accepting and appreciative as well. You know, one of the challenges that you have, as do, does every other clergyman that I know, is that a majority of Americans now are atheists, mm-hmm. and the ones that aren't don't attend services on a regular basis. Yeah, They have some kind of spiritual connection to their heritage and their roots, but America has kind of drifted away from you know, the church or the synagogue is being a integral part of their life. How do you, you know, relate to all of that? That's a very good question. You know, there are some cultures and religions that are very um, prayer hall centric, you know, right. very synagogue or, you know, whatever it is. That the Building. Call it. Yeah. The Judaism, the uh, you know, people have to understand that Judaism is not a synagogue centric religion. It's a very all-encompassing religion, and, you know, 99% of Jews have had some type of Jewish background or connection in the past, um, and it doesn't have to be prayer or study-related, uh, just culturally, you know, and um, 
you know, we have a program that delivers chicken soup to sick university students. You know what I mean? And, you know, mm-hmm. everyone appreciates some chicken soup and matzo balls. Absolutely. Or loaves of love, you know. People can go online and, and recommend someone to get a, a delivery of challah. You know, who, who doesn't love challah? Um, so there's, the, the, there's so many dimensions to the Jewish experience that, doesn't, that, that even an atheist could appreciate. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever label you want to give yourself. Uh, and, and that's what Chabad has been so successful in doing over the years in many different locations is adapting to the needs of the individuals in every community, because we're not just working on a community level. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's two dimensional. It's, we work, you know, with individuals to address their needs or their wants or their interests. And then also on a community level. Um, and uh, what we're trying to do is create all these different availabilities and outlets where people could tap in and connect to their heritage in any way they want. That's really the idea. You know, we had um, uh, Paul and, um, and uh, gosh, from Leiser, Jacob Leiser's footsteps a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Some and Bert. Exhibit? Yeah, Paul and Bert on. And yeah. talking about the Prussian-born merchant Jacob Leiser who moved from yeah. San Francisco to Missoula. Uh, in the 1800s. And it was really interesting to talk to them about kind of what they were trying to accomplish with the exhibit and the educational aspect of Judaism in Montana, right? Like being very specific to the location of Montana and how Judaism has been part of the geography, the culture, the, so, the, the, the you know, society for mm-hmm. almost, you know, 150 years. And so things like that, like, you know, uh, projects like that or educational projects like that, how does the Chabad kind of help support and, you know, uh, what else are we trying to do to kind of do similar types of projects to educate the community? So actually, you know, in, in, talk, in, in terms of, you know, what we were talk, discussing earlier about the Jewish business network, and by the way, for our listeners, we, we had talked about prior to getting on the air with Rabbi, uh, the idea of, of, of a Jewish business network, uh, in Missoula and what would that look like and what would the projects be just so we have some context. Right. And you mentioned, uh, how, how, you know, the emphasis on education. Um, like I said before, you know, although we're building a Jewish community, we see the power uh, first of all, the responsibility we have to the city at large, but but being able to harness the power of a community um, in many different ways. So, f- for example, you know, Sukkot, you know, the festival of tabernacles, you know, in Hebrew is referred to as Sukkot. It's in the fall time, comes after the high holidays. So we decided, um, you know, this past year, about six, seven months ago, that we're going to turn that Sukkot party into a volunteer event. And oh, so nice. we had about 40, 50 volunteers come and they packed 100 food packages for the Puff Center. Wow. Um, yeah. And I, I can't describe to you the feeling, you know, the next day I took my kids to the center and we dropped it all off. And then I came back an hour later because I'd forgotten a box. And on my way out, you know, the back over there, I saw like 30 or 40 homeless people sitting on the sidewalk eating the food that we packed for them the day before. And that was, that was just a tremendous feeling. Uh, in a few weeks' time, uh, our next uh, holiday event, we're planning on doing something similar as well, um, turning it into a volunteer thing, um, yeah, to benefit, you know, whether it's whether we're going to partner with the food bank or, you know, another, you know. So over time, um, we're going to harness these events and, and these, these gatherings um, to partner with another local organization uh, and help them in their work. Um, so exactly like you're saying, beyond the Jewish community, um, we, we can, we can have a tremendous impact on the city as well. So like, um, what, so like, like we have, uh, the big, uh, gay pride, uh, weekend being planned right now by, um, uh, by, by the, uh, LGBTQ, um, community here in Missoula, Will you guys get behind that and and support that, right? Because 
what's what I find so liberating about being Jewish in Montana is a it speaks to being fiercely independent, right? And we're, it's about our independence and about our identity. Mm-hmm. But also, it, I, I, I feel like we identify with other groups that may not be perceived in the, uh, uh, you know, that may be still perceived as outsiders. But quite frankly, we're not. We're insiders. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, so how do you so? What other thing can you be involved in things like that, or what other organizations could you get behind? Right. No, I, uh, it's interesting that you're saying that because we're just coming from Passover. Uh, Passover was, you know, celebrating an experience or the redemption from an experience that was formative uh, in terms of how we became a nation. Um, those years of slavery in Egypt that served as the basis for right. our identity as a people. Um, and yes, so over the years, we've always identified uh, with those groups. We've always been in that position, almost always. Uh, Exclusively. Except few, <laughs> yeah, except for a few brief breaks. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely part of our, our mission statement um, to harness the community and the power of community um, to bring greater good to the city. Uh, there's no question. And are we being inclusive, right? Is the Chabad inclusive? Yes, um, I, I get this question a lot. You know, I'm this and that. Am I welcome? Is it okay if I right. come this way or that way? And yes, the answer always is um, everyone is welcome at Chabad. Um, regardless, you know, we, every single event that we do uh, that requires some form of pay, there's always a fund, to, you know. So on every single level, um, everyone is included. Uh, and our, our goal is to make everyone comfortable. Um, Were they so? So that's a great question. So, like, I I know, like, a lot of young people in town. Like, I deal yes. with a lot of different people in town that are, you know, in their twenties and thirties. They're new mm-hmm. to town, or they've come as students, and they may not be Jewish, but they have an interest in us, in in the religion and in the cultures of the religion. Are they welcome to participate? Um, and are, or are there forms you can create for them to participate to understand Judaism better? Everyone is welcome at the events uh, unless we have like a space shortage. So if there's like a space shortage and only for the very specific events, right? Okay. Um, but right, nine out of ten events, everyone is is always welcome. There's always room for everybody. And, and for someone that's, you know, it's I want to touch on this quickly if you don't mind, but for, for someone who's not Jewish that's expressing interest in Judaism, I always like to sit down with them for a coffee and ask them why they're interested, uh, what their interest is. And if it's always, and if it is, as it often is, beyond just, you know, a basic interest or fascination with Judaism or Jewish history or culture, sometimes it's like, you know, I've gone to church for 20 years and I've come to this, I, you know, I've had this idea that in order to, be spiritual or be connected to God, you have to be Jewish. That's a tr- that's a very big mistake. Um, and so I always try to explain that to people first. Um, you know, everyone everyone has the ability to connect with spirituality and to God in different ways, right? Um, and um, you don't have to be Jewish, um, right? So to connect um, in a, a lot of times way. it comes from that misconception. But, I mean, everyone is welcome at Chabad to experience uh, in, in their way, uh, however they choose, um, whether you're Jewish or not. Which is really nice. I think that there is a trend, especially after these last two years where people spent so much time isolated and by themselves and they want mm-hmm. to be a part of a group again and feel more comfortable being a part of a group. Then, even though COVID's not over, People are starting to really desire to be part of something. Um, I think that how inviting and inclusive we can be or you can be as a group and Har Shalom could be as a group and the, you know, the LGBTQ community could be welcoming in folks into the group, how important that is right now, because people have been starving for that, that uh, connection. And they're going to and they admire. And in some ways, it's funny that you say that, but like 
Someone said, I feel like I have to be Jewish to, to have a spiritual connection to God. That's what I've come to the conclusion. But that may not be true. That, to your point, they can do it through whatever religion they are, but they do admire Judaism because it doesn't they even have to be through religion. So that's the thing. You that's know, a oh, great point. Right. I mean, God is not a religious thing. It's 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 a thing. I mean, it's it's a thing. It's a spiritual Hashem, concept. Hashem, Hashem for all. It's Hashem, or however you're going to say it, Allah. But there's no right. Uh, there's no religion that owns God. You know what I mean? God is the creator of the world. You know what I mean? So, so it's it's not necessarily a religious thing. Just you know. Well, yeah. right, but I, I think it's interesting people kind of looking to Judaism as mm-hmm. like they admire the cultures and the traditions. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a really great advertisement for us, if you will, yeah. for for the religion, because we do feel like we are a uh, an inclusive, welcoming, warm group. Well, it's uh, a complicated issue for a number of reasons. I wanted to take some time to explain it to our listeners and then have the rabbi comment on it. It's one of the few religions that has its own country, you know, which came out of, uh, you know, the World War II and the Holocaust and uh, and the creation of Israel in 1948. It's a a very small religion. It has a disproportionate visibility relative Mm -hmm. to its size. There's 8 billion people on this planet, and there are only 15 or 16 million, you 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 know, Jews in the world. There's only half of them are in the United States. And in the United States, they only make up two and a half percent of the population. So half of them are in our country and they make up a, a small part of the population. But they are disproportionately represented in a lot of leadership roles and positions and in science and medicine and in uh, entertainment and in other areas, which has become a lightning rod for people that have are into, uh, you know, religious confrontation or however you want to describe it, who have views that, you know, get promulgated as as uh, anti-Semitic. And sort of I wanted to roll that out there and then lead into sort of this for you, Rabbi. We have this Ukrainian situation that's taking place. There are probably two or 300,000 Jews in the Ukraine, and there are probably that many in Russia. And does your organization have a position on this? I mean, what's what's your thinking about what's going on on there, and what role you know the Jewish community ought to be playing in that, that area? Given that that's a significant portion of the of the whole corpus of of the Jewish population on the planet, right? Yeah, Chabad has a huge presence uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, Ukraine, Russia. Um, my wife and I, both of us have cousins, aunts, and uncles who run Chabad centers around Russia and Ukraine, actually. Um, the, the directors of Chabad in Odessa uh, actually did a rabbinic internship in, in Odessa some 11, 12 years back. Um, uh, the Wolves, my wife's aunt and uncle, they're there now. They, they transported a few hundred of their community members out to Berlin, and then they returned to take care of the rest of the community. So... A lot of the Jews have been displaced, um, but many of them still remain. And while a lot of the Chabad leaders, you know, the leaders of those communities um, have left, some of them have stayed uh, if they felt it was extremely necessary and if it was safe enough um, to take care of their communities. The first responsibility that a Jewish community leader has is not to get up on the pulpit and make some political statement. It's to take care of his community first and foremost. Right. And that's his contribution, you know, and everyone has their contribution to society based on their position. Right. And if you're a religious person or a spiritual person, you believe that you're there in that position because God ordained you to be and you have some, some type of mission. Um, so if you're a, a leader of a community, then it's pretty clear what your job is. And in, mm-hmm. and in, a, in a time of crisis, uh, such as, you know, whatever there is now in Ukraine. Um, the responsibility that you have, the contribution you need to make is very clear. And that is to take care of your community members, to provide humanitarian aid, um, if they still, to, to, to maintain some semblance of community, some type of Passover Seder and the like, um, to prepare care, for, to provide care for the elderly, uh, and so on and so forth, evacuations. That is your contribution. 
And I think that's what many Jewish community leaders, especially uh, Chabad community leaders, have been focused on. Um, you know, uh, in general, um, Chabad rabbis and rabbitsons, uh, you know, for that matter, um, you will find very few times that they'll make a, a p- political statement of any kind outside um, the the purview of that outside of an issue that directly affects the Jewish community. You know, that's not a Jewish related issue. Um, and I, I do feel like, and I, I don't have anyone in mind or any particular movement at all, but I do feel like some people use their positions to make statements that might alienate, you know, members of their community. And if your job is to lead a community or a certain group, and you're making a statement at the expense of the members of your group, then maybe you're not doing your job very well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just, I want to say that's that. An important, that's an important statement, right? Yeah. Because we see that a lot now, frankly, around the United States. People have put their political perspective or their political bias above the uh, good. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, and so, 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 but, but just to answer your question, yes. yes. What they're focused on is, is taking care of the people in their city and specifically in their community, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Makes sense. Rabbi, how... Um in terms of your work in the community, uh, I imagine you have a special connection to the university um, and to the folks at the university. And tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with uh, students that are coming in, because that's a, obviously a great source of, uh, of new families and new people to kind of bring into Chabad. Yeah, the, the university is a cornerstone of Missoula. Everyone, uh, everyone knows that. Uh, and w- when we first came, one of our main focuses was establishing the connection uh, and continuing the, the activity uh, on the university. It is a very small city, uh, and most of the students do not even live on campus. Um, and so every single event that we do, um, you know, students are welcome and they do attend, um, sometimes in, in, in large numbers. The percentage of Jewish students on campus at least as far as anyone could tell, is pretty small, pretty small percentage, is really a sliver of the population. Um, and so in order to put together a group uh, of Jewish students to, to, with which to do direct programming, um, it would take a lot of time on campus. And actually, in the months before COVID, uh, we did, we had a very strong presence on campus. We even had the Jewish Grizzlies, the Jewish student group, um, recognized by the university, and then COVID kind of dismantled that a little bit. Um, and uh, we're working to get that back on track. You know, so 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 aside from the community-wide things we do, we do want to do programming not just for students but on campus um, and to do that in the format, format of a, a Jewish student group. Um, so that's that's something we definitely uh, want to work on. Once, Rabbi, once. You, you have other colleagues in the state of Montana. Mm-hmm. Who are they? Where are they? And do you all work together? Do you have a sort of a statewide network of, of trying to uh, collaborate and, and share information about what's going on and, and build up on each other's experiences? Absolutely. Um, well, let me just preface that with saying that although there's like four and a half or 5,000 centers, uh, Chabad centers around the world, the network is very, very tight. Um, and as, as you break it down into regions, those networks become even tighter. Um, in terms of hierarchy, uh, obviously there's a central organization in New York, and then every region has its own like leadership. Um, in Montana, this, you should, you could say the central, the center of Chabad in Montana is in Bozeman. Um, Rabbi Brooke in Bozeman, he was the first one to come down, uh, about 13, 14 years back. Uh, and he, is in charge of establishing, bringing um, families out to different cities in Montana to establish Chabad centers there. So Missoula was established in 2014. Chabad of the Flathead was established in 2018. And uh, there's a new Chabad center being established later this year in Billings. Um, So in total, we have four Chabad centers in Montana. And I'm sure it's going to keep growing. Um, There's no doubt especially as the Jewish population continues to grow. What was the response in the Flathead 
you know, there was there was some very visible anti-Semitic um, activities there in the last few years. Mm-hmm. How did the the Chabad uh, respond to that? It was it was before my time, but um, from what I know, there was a a big rally, a big gathering uh, up there in the Flathead, um, and there was a lot of talk. And um, I think what Chabad tried to do was create this sustained response, you know, um, and I, this is very typical of, of Chabad and uh, the way we operate. Um, in the wake of it, I, I, Rabbi Brooke created an initiative that goes until this day, um, and it's called the uh, Montana Chumash Project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every single Jew in Montana is able to receive their own Chumash, which is a Hebrew Bible, obviously with English translation and commentary, uh, and it's a great source of study. But just the idea of having a visibly Jewish book in your home, on your bookshelf, um, again, it's again, it's about raising the, the profile and, and, and making people comfortable and, and feel safe that they could be on some level openly Jewish and identify as a Jew without being threatened. And when that is threatened, the way a person should respond is by saying, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to strengthen that identity. Uh, and so that has always been across the board, Chabad's response. You know, you're going to anti-Semitism. Yeah, we could lecture about it. We can make people aware about it. Awareness is important. But the ultimate response has to be, a strengthening of identity and visibility, you know, so. Exactly. Have, Rabbi, have you, in your four years, your experience, any level of anti-Semitism from just people that didn't know you? Not from individuals, but a couple months after we arrived, um, there was this, there was a few weeks of, I call it the anti-Semitic pamphlet series. Like every few days, a new pamphlet or paper would drop sometimes around the university area, around town. Right. We were on for four or five weeks. Um, and I, I think the last uh, publishing, I finally got one on my doorstep. But, like, I was feeling left out for a while. I don't think it was targeted. <laughs> it was just one or two, you know, bored, angry people. And usually that's what it is. Um, and and the, actually the way what we decided to do in the wake of that we decided to make a Jewish concert. So we partnered with the university as they were targeted first. We partnered with the, uh, uh, with the vice provost and, and uh, the university to make a Jewish concert in Bonner Park. Uh, and a few months later, uh, I think it was beginning of September, we flew in a Jewish band from New York, uh, you know, and we sold kosher hot dogs and burgers. Uh, <laughs> and we had some stands and, Clowns. I mean, you know, just a big, you know, community event that was specifically in a very public place, you know, uh, with high participation. Um, and we did choose music because going back to what we were talking about before, adapting to the city. I know music is a very big part of music and food is a bit, very big part of. of well, Israel. yes. And so we leaned into the Jewish music and uh, open barbecue thing. Uh, and it was a beautiful event, and we were planning on making it annual, but then, you know, the next, by next year, COVID was here, uh, but definitely something we want to keep doing, um, you know, the Jewish Jewish music festival idea. So, Rabbi, one of the things that Arnie and I love talking about on this show is food, and the yeah. food from back our childhood, and, our, and back, and not even childhood, from back east, yeah. and... I do know that uh, your predecessor, he always brought in a, cl- a selection of kosher foods mm-hmm. uh, that were flowed in or, or, or shuttled in. Well, um, we have a new bagel store that just came in, uh, Bro- Brooklyn Bagel, uh, who is, and Arnie and I are, ha- are going to have him on the show next week. Um, and his name is Les Feynman. And he is half Jewish, half Italian, oh, which wow. is funny because it represents, a it's a phenomenal combo from Brooklyn. Yeah. And it represents the his uh, what he's going to be bringing into his store there on North Reserve. It's Italian food from Little Italy and it's Essa bagels. 
from oh, yeah. an Acme and uh, lox and whitefish spread from Acme, uh, oh. all from Brooklyn. So uh, we're excited about that. But, uh, you know, is that something – how do you feel about the food? I know that you, you know, you keep kosher. Um, but, uh, you know, are there places that you like to go in town? There, there really aren't any kosher establishments. Um, you know, uh, as tr- uh, traditional Jews, we keep kosher. And so, like you said, like, like Barry did before us, uh, we do truck in all our kosher food. I mean, you could buy bagels in Walmart, you know, Philadelphia cream cheese and lox. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's not from Brooklyn, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of kosher food you could find in any given supermarket. But some of the more specialized items like meat uh, and that type of stuff, poultry, um, that's stuff we need to bring in from outside. Let's take a quick break. Uh, our guest is Rabbi Chesky Vogel. He is with the Missoula area of Chabad. Back after this. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Chesky Vogel. Rabbi, so if people want to get in touch with you, they want to have coffee with you, they want to, you know, uh, explore their spirituality or their understanding of, uh, you know, Judaic roots and all that sort of stuff. How do they find you? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, um, we're, you can find us on Google. There's a phone <laughs> number there. Uh, that's my direct line. Um, my email address is rabbi at jewishmissoula.com. Um, we have a website, which is probably the best way to get in touch and get involved on some level. Um, What's the URL? Yeah, um, And if, if you want to really stay informed in terms of what we're doing, well, uh, there's plenty of information online, but you could also sign up on the bottom of the homepage for a for newsletter updates to join our email list. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone is, is welcome to get involved in, in whatever, on whatever level, whichever way they, they like. There's a lot of different ways. We have so much to ask you about, Rabbi, but in our remaining moments, you're, you're, not, you're obviously originally from, you said, from Rochester, New York. Mm-hmm. Was this your first big, you know, move out west was coming to Missoula, Montana? Yes. Well, I grew up in, in a family. My parents established the Chabad Center in Rochester back in 1981. Um, and so I grew up very much in this lifestyle. I didn't grow up in a religious community, although I'm religious. Um, Rochester had a very re- uh, limited religious community. Actually, my father was a campus rabbi. Um, both community, he split his time between community and campus. Okay. Uh, and so I grew up in this environment, and I always knew that, you know, come the time, you know, I get married, I start a family, and then I, I'm going to want to do establish my own thing somewhere else. Uh, and there was a lot of options, you know, um, New Zealand, uh, Florida, wow. you know, um, but the goal was always, regardless of where we would go, to establish something new uh, to build. Um, and um, Missoula came up. We visited in the summer of 2018. I think even before the plane landed, you know, just the, the what I saw from the window. I mean, I was in yeah, you were love thinking, with the place. Yeah. You didn't know you were going to get the same winter weather as Rochester. <laughs> Actually, Rochester is a lot worse. I'm sorry, I know. I, I it's know biting. Know. Yeah, everyone thinks that you know Montana winters are horrible. They're the worst. Uh, we're near Lake Ontario, so. Um, <laughs> Are there any upcoming events, Rabbi, that we want to want to make our audience aware of? Uh, things that are happening in the community. Sure, sure. Um, the next few events, I can just give you. Just have a look at my calendar. So Saturday, uh, May seventh, we do a monthly um, Shabbat morning service. Um, so our next Shabbat morning service will be May seventh in the morning. Details are online. We also have a Jewish women's circle. Um, that will be on the 15th, I believe. Okay. And then we also have a Jewish kids club 
Um, the upcoming season is actually two parts. Um, every couple of weeks, we have another, I believe it's on Mondays, um, Jewish Kids Club. Uh, and the details of that are online as well. Um, so that that's what's happening. And then obviously around holidays. So for the holiday of Lagba Omer, which is in about three to four weeks, we'll be having a family barbecue. And then for Shavuot, which is the festival of the giving of the Ten Commandments, that's in about six weeks. We'll be having a community dinner and a reading of the Ten Commandments for uh, families. Um, and all that info is either available or will be available in the coming weeks uh, online and in our email updates. It's, Rabbi, yeah. it's always good catching up with you. It's always uh, good to get your perspective on things. Of course. You guys are great schmoozers. I hope your listeners know what schmoozers means. <laughs> if we, could, we would call the show that, but nobody can spell it. <laughs> no, but uh, Rabbi, we really do appreciate it. And I hope this is the first of many uh, conversations we have with you. We like having you on the air. We like letting the community know all about the Chabad, the good work you're doing, but also about, you know, Judaism here in Missoula and Western Montana. And uh, it's just important for people to understand what we're all about, because the more you can demystify and provide insight and clarity, the less you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, issues people have for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So um, I'm really glad that you're there. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Thank you so much. You take care. See you next week, Arnie. See you next Shalom. week, Scott. Take care. Shalom. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done